Welcome to the Deeper Into Movies podcast. My name is Stephen T. Hanley. I'm the founder and lead creator of Deeper Into Movies. We are a pop-up cinema based in London and New York. Today in the podcast, I'm joined by writer-director Jason Eisner. Jason, you might know from his incredible exploitation movie, Hobo the Shotgun. He is the co-creator of the incredible Vice documentary series, Dark Side of a Ring. And he's back with his new movie, Kids vs. Aliens. Hobo the Shotgun is one of the most insane films I've ever seen. It was so good to talk to him. We get into it about exploitation movies, the Warriors, why Bam Margera and CKY matter. And he's a really sweet guy. And he's a very beautiful Rudger Hauer story that got me really choked up during the interview. Here is me and Jason Eisner. That's a very intense background you got going on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you. (laughs) What have you got? Is that an arcade machine you've got behind you as well? It's a claw machine. The claw. Oh, I've wasted so much money on those things. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so what you got to do is you just, when you go catch one in the wild, you just, you have a place to bring it, you know, when you come home, and then you just keep capturing catching them again for oh free. my god they've got yeah okay that's an expensive <laughs> habit <laughs> so what kind of teenager were you what did you grow up what were you into i'm guessing a lot of it's on display in the film but yeah the film is very much uh inspired by my childhood um but when i was a kid uh, a teenager i um i got into skateboarding and uh i was skateboarding very heavily which um made me first pick up a a video camera i i spent my summers working in construction uh, so i could buy my first video camera to film my friends uh and myself skateboarding and then um one of my buddies who's still one of my best friends to this day jermaine arsenault uh we turned my parents backyard shed into like a like a clubhouse and we would sleep in there all summer and he introduced me to movies like return of the living dead and evil dead which i never had seen before and that we spent all summer just like uh, devouring the horror and sci-fi action sections of our local video store and i feel like that's like the moment like that that's that time period is what really like fueled my my love and drive to uh become a filmmaker because when we weren't skateboarding, I just qu- I would turn the camera on my friends and we would film short films. And uh, I quickly kind of drifted away from uh, skateboarding and just being behind the camera. And by the time I got into high school, um, I was trying to convince like every teacher to like let me make like turn a project into like a, a, a short film. And uh, they saw me and my friends like running around the school making movies so that by the time we got to the 12th grade, they actually created like a film and video program for us. And uh, and yeah, I just spent every like off class, every lunch break, every day after school with the with the teacher who like 
taught me how to use iMovie at the time uh, because I was editing like from VCR to VCR and he taught me how to use like iMovie, I remember. And uh, yeah, that that's, uh, yeah, my teenage years were like just filled with like, I have so much of it on tape. Um, I have like an archive of it on uh, at home of, of my teenage years because I just, I always had a camera in my hand. Oh man, that's, your school sounds amazing. I guess this is why Canada is such a nice place. Dude, it was it was incredible. I had this teacher named Brian O'Grady, who was my high the the teacher of that film and video program, and he didn't know anything about making movies. He was just the art teacher at school, and I learned the most from him than anyone else like I've come across in my life. And he was probably one of the more inspirational people um that he really set me down a path because he like he was the first person to like believe in me and see that like I had a talent and uh I've always wanted to give back like he did uh for us because he he was like one of those teachers like I remember in art class like I don't know if you remember this like if you'd see like a kid like drawing something like so offensive like yeah just so the teacher would see it and just be mortified (laughs) by it and uh, he would come across and see those pieces of art and he would I would see him pick out like the best things in it. And he would leave a kid like with them, like scratching their head, kind of thinking they were going to get a rise out of him. But he like left them like inspired because he never like he never um, enforced his own opinion on art like to us. He just tried to get into what we were into and try to get us to flourish by, by what we were inspired by. And what camera did you get? Was it one of uh, mini DVs or was it before that? Yeah, it was like a JVC camera. It was like before the mini DV and maybe around the time of the high eight, but there were like these like thick tapes and you had to, you had to put it into a VHS tape Yes, and put it in in order to like see what you shot. Uh, but that, that was the first camera I bought. And uh, yeah. And then the next one after that, I think, we had like some like high eight cameras, and then um, I remember getting the DVX one hundred, uh, the Panasonic DVX one hundred, right out of like I think it was in college, and that uh, camera, I it was like the workhorse of like indie backyard filmmaking. I feel like of of that era. <laughs> I had the Sony PC one twenty, the ones that fit in your hand. Oh yeah, because we could too. we could just sneak in anywhere and like, can we film here? No, yeah, and then just come back <laughs> the next day and just like, just go, just go. And the oh yeah, it's already good and just stealing yeah. shots. Oh, you used to do that. Still do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I yeah. had to unlock one of my childhood fantasies and buy one. I forget the name. There's a big skateboard camera that they're using on Jackass back in the day. Oh. I always forget the model number, the, the silver one. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly I what to, you mean. I should I know see what that's called. Bam Margera. I remember there's like a photo of Bam Margera where he had like his own like big Mac station, a camera, an iPod, <laughs> and just yeah. And I was like, "Fuck this guy! I'm so jealous. Look at this setup." So I was like, "Oh, I know. Bam was a big inspiration on me uh, growing up. Uh, I feel like that guy." Uh, doesn't get maybe like enough credit for like um like you know people will say yeah like there's a lot of kids you know jumped into shopping carts because of him or whatever but uh for me it was like because i love skateboarding and i was filming skate videos but when i saw like the cky video for the first time 
and him creating kind of like this new format of uh, media that I hadn't seen before. I love the idea of like seeing all his friends and they were all like these characters. Like it was like a documentary, but with these like larger than life characters and they were having so much fun. It just, it felt like it was an attainable, like it felt like you could do it too in a way. And so, yeah, I remember like just filming skits because uh, I saw Bam doing it on CKY. And then that just led me down a path of getting more into telling stories. Um, not so much pranks, but um, it just, I don't know that it really like, I guess like in some ways my work still almost has kind of a feeling from those days. Like I try to keep it almost feeling loose and like a documentary kind of vibe. Yeah. I always say looking back at Jackass, <clears throat> even seeing films, even seeing something on primetime MTV Sunday night that was shot on a piece of shit camera or even just yeah. those, when they had like the random interludes where there was that spring cold door stopper and it was yes, just one yep. minute of that being snapped back and forth just a weird yeah. almost ambient moment of a show yeah and, and did then you just ha- cutting back someone you know lighting fireworks out of her ass that was just like yeah it was amazing <laughs> did did you have tom green uh growing up yeah he kind of he i always find them very unsettling but we, yeah. <laughs> but we had a show and Freddy Got Fingered was too much for me. I couldn't. Oh, wow. I love that movie. That movie was insane. Uh, but we had Tom Green because he's from Canada. And so I believe like it played in, on Canada before it was on uh, MTV. But he also was a big inspiration, too, just because he was just picking up a video camera and going out and, you know, making stuff. And um, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I remember him being inspiring, too. I think it was only when I started fucking around with DV cameras and then you realize how shooting, well, orchestrating these stunts is one thing. Wrangling all your friends together to get them on set is a miracle always. Yes. And then the execution. It's just, these are really well-constructed, smart, smart, stupid stunts. Yes, yeah. Which um... is, a lot of people that come out of skateboarding just say, a lot of amazing artists and bands and filmmakers have all oh, started yeah. in, in skateboarding. And there's something about the way your brain operates, processing tricks yep. and stunts. It can just be converted. Absolutely. To art I tell, I tell my friends who are skateboarders and some that are older that they should get into like stunt work if they're interested. And I've had some friends who were skateboarders that became stunt performers because they, you know, they know, you know how to take falls. And like you fall, if you're grew up skateboarding, you've fallen in the most terrible, awful ways. Mm-hmm. And you've learned uh, how to uh, take falls and then get right back up from it and do it, do it again. You know, it's like doing another take. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, if you're a skateboarder, you need some extra cash, man. Get into uh, look into doing stunt work because you can you can make some good money uh, doing it. Although. Well, you, you take a toll, but um, there's just uh, there's you know lots of safe ways to like doing stunts, and but a big part of it is just knowing how to take take a fall. And in all my movies growing up, uh, all the action movies we made, like me and my friends that skateboarded, we would do all the stunts. I would do like a ton of crazy stunts, like in my own uh, in my own movies, and uh, still down to do it if uh, if it's <laughs> ever uh, any if anyone ever needs a stunt, like call me up i'm down (laughs) how long were you working in a comic book store 
Oh, wow. I worked at this store called uh, The Last Game Store, um, which my buddy Adam Perry uh, owned. And when I was in, it was like at the end of high school, um, I worked there uh, through college. Um, and I think like maybe a couple years after, my, gosh, I can't remember. It might have been like four or five years that I worked there. Uh, and it was amazing because like, you know, I was spending all my time like trying to make movies and the guy, Adam, who owned the store was like very supportive of that. And uh, he would always give me time when I needed to. And he would put up with my shenanigans at the store. If I was like filming something in there or uh, just, you know, not doing my work mm-hmm. and doing something to do with, with movies. Um, but I loved working there cause I was just surrounded by the things I loved. We sold like comic books, action figures, video games, um, and yeah, it was just a an amazing atmosphere and a great way too that I just got to learn about the the consumer for um, a lot of artwork and comic books and just got to see like what kind of attracted um, the the audience that is an audience that like I hope you know would watch my work now you know I, I think about them. It was funny. I was talking to my friend Owen Klein who made Funny Pages, which was oh, cool. a, which was a great. Have you seen that? I just watched it, yeah. Yeah, we were talking about just our years spent hanging out in comic book stores, record stores, and just all the intense characters that you meet in those places. That I know. So interesting. Everyone's always, uh, they're in a band, they're making a film, they're writing a book, they're an artist. It's, yeah. Yeah. Always we well. had, um, in our store, we had, like, you could pay, it's called pay to play, <laughs> and mm. you could pay, like, a dollar for like 10 minutes to play like any video game you wanted on a TV. <laughs> and uh, there was this guy who would come in named Dave Brunt. And he was like so much, he was, you know, uh, much older than me. He was an old man and he would come in and uh, he would just want to play like world war two games <laughs> on this. And he would tell me the craziest stories. And I, I just fell in love with him. And then he would hear me talking about, uh making movies or hear the phone calls that i was on in the shop and he was like jay you gotta put me in one of your movies someday and i was like man i will if if you're down and so um i made this like a uh, fake trailer for um a competition that uh, robert rodriguez and quinn tarantino had for grindhouse which is to make a fake trailer for a movie and so i made this trailer called hobo with a shotgun and yeah. dave that guy who came into the store and hung out all the time was the star no way of that he short was the Rutgerhauer character yes he was feature fuck yeah yeah totally and i based a lot of that character on dave and um and when it came time to do the feature film it became very apparent that like like it, it wouldn't have been possible with dave because dave had no acting experience at all like when what you see in that short trailer that we did <laughs> is like his real anger like when he's screaming and getting pissed off, that's like take like 30 something. And he's like so mad. At me. <laughs> but it's like, that's what it like the performance became, you know, got yeah. like what I was looking for. Um, but we couldn't do that on a feature film. God, but he uh, he helped me, um, you know, pick out Rugger Hauer as an idea uh, to play him in the movie. Um and uh yeah it ended up working out great and him and rugger became like really great friends and uh dave talks about rugger like he was the the brother he never had you know 
this was such a crazy time. So this was when Grindhouse was about to come out. Yeah. South by Southwest. And it was just Robert Rodriguez who said, make your own fake trailer Mm -hmm. in Spirit of Grindhouse. Yes. Any prize? No, at the time there was no idea like what it would like what if there was a prize or anything would come out of it. Um, I, for me, um, I grew up uh, really inspired by Robert Rodriguez and his book Rebel Without a Crew uh, was a huge inspiration to me. So at the time, just the thought of him watching something that I made was uh, was good enough for me. It's so funny because in in my teen years, of my friends used to send me like, "Hey, was a competition to like send in this film or make this music video." And I'd always overthink it mm-hmm. and stress myself out. I'm like, you know, I'm just gonna wait. no, I don't know. Or or how or how did you weigh it up? How much did you know think I'm gonna spend this much money on it or I'm gonna spend this much time on it? Was that a kind of a conversation you had? Yeah, we were um we were thinking about uh submitting for this contest actually at the time that Steven Spielberg had on I forget what the show was called. It was like on the lot or something. Um, but it was like something similar where filmmakers submitted short films and if they won, they got to come on and then you went through like kind of a, a contest where you had to keep on continuing to make uh, short films. So we were thinking about that. And then John Davies, uh, the uh, my co-writer on uh, Hobo with a Shotgun and Kids vs. Aliens, he read about this contest and it was on uh, this website called Ain't It Cool News at the time. And uh, he read about the contest that... Uh, uh, for Grindhouse, and when we heard that, we thought, "Oh man, maybe we could like do something awesome with this." And we were like really inspired by at that time period. Like we were really into like exploitation films, and we were diving heavily into like a- Italian like crime movies. And uh, so it just seemed so natural for us. Um, and but yeah, within like hearing that, it had to be done like so quickly. Uh, there was like a, it was like just like two weeks or something from like the announcement. So we literally like the next day, like got out and we started shooting something. And I don't think anything from that day made it into the trailer, but it just got the wheels turning and got us, you know, to just keep doing it until we, you know, spent a few days shooting it and collecting all the footage. And then I just, uh, yeah, cut it all together. And what's so great is what, Rodriguez said about Machete is you can just stick in all the money shots. The plot really doesn't matter. You can just throw in all the chaos and crazy scenes and just make like the craziest supercut of mayhem. And <laughs> no, it's, what the what the fuckery. It's funny, like after I made the feature film Hobo with the Shotgun, I actually got a call from Robert Rodriguez. I hadn't, you know, heard from him since we won that contest. So, you know, three or four years later, I get a call after the feature film came out and he's interested in having me uh, direct uh, the, I think it was the sequel to Machete. Machete and Kills. He has, yeah. And yeah, it was Machete Kills. And so he had me like come up with a bunch of ideas and then he had pitched me, he just had like a few shot ideas, which like one was like machete throws like a grappling hook into a a helicopter propeller and it spins around. And so he goes flying in a circle (laughs) holding out a machete and he starts like cutting up everyone. Uh, And so, yeah. And 
something with a speedboat as well too i can't remember if these even made it into the movie but i remember it, it funny that you know he just had like shot ideas yeah. that he thought could be cool uh in the sequel and um and in some ways that works for me too like when i'm coming up with an idea it's like i'll get inspired by you know maybe it's like a shot or just some little concept that gets launched into something bigger how many submissions were there for the contest, you know, roughly? I actually don't know. There were so many of them. Um, I didn't, I thought there was no way we were going to win because there were so many trailers and so many of them that had some big like production value. Um, but uh, yeah, I was like totally surprised because I just, there was so much talent out there um, that, uh, yeah. How did you find out? Uh, I, what was it? I got a call from, I think it was someone at South by Southwest and they were asking if I was going to be in Austin, uh, when South by was happening and I wasn't, I had no plans of being there. Uh, but they were like, Oh, maybe you like, you want to (laughs) come, you know? And I think they told me I was in the top three and, uh, and I was just, Oh my God, like, like just, totally blown away like i've never really been away from like home and uh the idea of just like going to like a film festival is just like so exciting and for one of my filmmakers uh, favorite filmmakers to be paying you know i had an opportunity for them to see like something that i made it was it was so exciting it was uh yeah it was uh it was, it was amazing <laughs> did you meet quentin too I met Quentin at the premiere of Grindhouse. So after we won, oh maybe this was the prize. They invited us to come to the to the Grindhouse premiere. And me and my producing partner Rob Cotterell, we went to LA, and um, he brought my producing partner Rob. He had just ad'd a movie for Stuart Gordon that Stuart shot uh, in New Brunswick in the Maritimes, and. Uh, and so Stuart invited us to come stay at his house. And uh, so my first time going to L.A., we go to stay at Stuart Gordon's. And he's somebody who I also, like, you know, I was such a huge fan of, like, mm-hmm. growing up. And he, and thank God he was, like, the first person from Hollywood I met because he's, he's like, since I met him, he's still probably the most grounded person I've ever met mm-hmm. out here. <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, going to his house for the first time, like, this is the guy who did Reanimator. Uh, from beyond dolls and i thought you know his house is going to be crazy and like filled with all this like you know memorabilia and horror movie stuff and then when we got there it was just it was just super like normal there wasn't even like anything to do with the genre like around the house eventually he pulled out some of the dolls from dolls like out of the closet mm-hmm. and uh Rob and I like stayed and uh their daughter was like off to college and we stayed in their bedroom and they just had like clippings from magazines like all over the walls. It just reminded me of my like my home. And and there was something just awesome about that because it made me feel like um I don't know, it just made me like this so comfortable. And he took us around Hollywood and he we took him to uh to the Grindhouse premiere. And we were at the like the party. I think it was like the after party, and Stuart was like, Oh, do you want to meet Quentin? <laughs> and we're like, wow. sure. And so Stuart just like took us right up to Quentin and uh, Quentin had a lot of respect for Stuart. So he was really gracious and uh, was super nice to us. And uh, 
And uh, he, uh, I think I like told him I was going to like try and make the movie into a feature. And he was like, that's awesome, man. Like, good luck. You know? <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was cool. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Mubi, a creator streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema. Mubi always has an amazing selection, iconic directors, emerging auteurs, and there's always something new to discover. I'm just going to go through and pick out three of my favorites for you to watch. These are my recommendations from the movie UK site. Okay, here we go. Number one, After Sun. Me and the deeper team got invited to a preview screening of this movie. Man, we were all crying. This movie was so beautiful and amazing and affecting. It's subtle. It's brilliant. Charlotte is one to watch. What a debut. Okay. Barge on the Beach, yes. I have just rewatched Bend It Like Beckham, which is a masterpiece. No irony, that film is a masterpiece. And I love her first movie. It's about a group of women who take a trip from Birmingham to Blackpool. So great. Do that. And Japan from 2002. Carlos Regardias. He is amazing. I remember Harmony Korine always saying what amazing director he was. Japan was his debut that caused a lot of controversy and a lot of acclaim. He followed it up with Battle in Heaven, which was amazing. And Silent Night, which has one of the most amazing opening sequences ever. But let's start at the beginning and go with Japan. And thirdly, Shopping from... 94 with Jude Law and Sadie Frost about a young couple who go around joyriding, stealing cars. And if I remember rightly, they just crash the cars right into shopping centers and just loot everything and steal. And they're always listening to rave music. Man, this was a great movie to watch when I was a teenager and my life was nothing like this. Do that. There we go. After Sun, Barge on the Beach, Shopping. That is a random list. I love it. And you can try Mubi for 30 days for free. Just go to Mubi.com slash deeper into movies. That's Mubi.com slash deeper into movies for a whole month of great cinema free.
the movie turned out so great. How was it padding out that story into a feature? Yeah, well, it took like three years from the 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 trailer to getting like the feature made, and it was quite the process. Um, and making we made the movie in Canada, and it had been a long time since Canada had uh, done like uh, step back into like making genre movies, and um, we were using like some government financing to like help uh, finance the movie. And so we like had there were scenes in the film that like really freaked them out, and um, they uh, some of the, the the people in charge uh, of those funding bodies were not into the idea of financing our movie, and so it took a long time uh, to to get it to happen. And our producer uh, Nee Fitchman, who's one of the most uh, prominent producers in Canada. Uh, just wouldn't back down. And uh, we have the scene in the film in Hobo with a Shotgun where a busload of children get flamethrowered by the villain in the movie. That's in my notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if the movie didn't have that scene in it, we probably would have got the movie made like two years prior to us uh, actually shooting it. But Neve like loved that scene and he fought for us to like make that happen. And so when we when it came time to shooting that movie, I believe that scene was one of the first things we shot. It was like, I think the last thing we shot on the first day so that it was in the can and no one could say anything different about it. Um, And that was uh, Neve's idea to like do that. Um, But um, that's a great idea. Get get, get that evil shit in the can straight away. Yes, right away. (laughs) Before someone shuts it down. Yeah. but uh, yeah, it, it, it was, uh, again, we, we, we made that movie as if it was going to be like the first and last movie like we ever made. So we were just, we were putting everything that we were inspired by and just making every scene as like crazy as it possibly could. And, um, and then making that movie was like one of the wildest experiences and like working with Rugger Hauer uh, was a dream come true. And and I was so nervous because it was my first feature film and he was like the first actor that I grew up loving. Like I remember seeing the hitcher and surviving the game and, and he was like the first actor I started realizing like, Oh, there's something about this guy. Like I love like every movie he's in and every character. So he was like the first actor that I like tracked down every movie that he was in when I was a kid. So um, I didn't think there was any way we were going to get him for the feature film um our uh one of the distributors in Canada asked us as a exercise to write a list of like our top five favorite actors that we would love to play the role. And I put uh I think it was like Nick Nolte and Rugger Hauer at the top of the list, thinking like these will get scratched off really quickly, and then we'll get to someone, you know, that I think we could uh you know we could possibly get. Mm-hmm. And uh and sure enough, like uh uh, Nick Nolte got checked off like really quickly. There's a funny story behind that, but uh, Rugger, um, you know, he he his agent hated the script, but for him, if someone tells him like, "Yo, you're not gonna like this," that like intrigues him. Right. And he wants to know like, why do you think I'm not gonna like this? So yeah. he read the script, and then he was like, "Oh, let me meet the director." And then um, we got on a Skype call, and I think at the time it was one of the first Skype calls I've ever done. And I was so, like, probably one of the most nervous I had ever been in my life. And 
it was two weeks before going to camera. And if I didn't get him to say yes on this phone call, we were going to have to push the film. And when you push a movie, that's just that can be the death of, of the film. So there was so much pressure going into this this meeting. And I get on the call and he's like sitting way back, like smoking yeah. a cigarette. <laughs> and he's just like looking at this monitor like <laughs> and I just I feel so small. And and so I just like I looked into the camera and I figured, you know, if he could just see like who I am, like that's probably going to be my best shot at this. And uh, we talked about the movie for like, I don't know, like 10 minutes, maybe. And I knew he was an ocean conservationist. And I grew up, you know, living near the ocean. And I wanted to be a marine biologist before I was a filmmaker. And so we started talking about our love for the ocean. And we were just hitting it off for like, it was like, for like an hour, we were just talking. And he went from like this to like right up into the camera. And just having a great time. And by the end of the call, it was just like, man, this was so good. Like all my anxieties and all the worry that I had just like went away. And it was like, I just, I met like an old friend uh, or I'm reconnecting with one. And at the end it was just like, Oh, this was so awesome. Like it was so awesome to meet you. And, and uh, we were like, yeah, we'll uh, talk to you later. And then my uh, producer and, uh, the, the cinematographer were eavesdropping on the door and they busted in like right after the call. And they're like, did he say yes? Did he say yes? And I said, I was like, I didn't even ask him <laughs> if he would do it. And they and we were like, oh my God. And then sure enough, like, I think it was like a half an hour later, he called, they called production and said that he was going to do the movie. Oh my God. That's incredible. Yeah. So it was so insane. I remember, and I remember on the last day of shooting, with him i asked him i was like rugger like what made you decide to come and do this uh like what was it about that phone call and he was like he's like jay i gotta be honest with you like i got on it to like kind of like you know scope you out but i was like really prepared to like tell you like to respectfully like decline to do it mm -hmm. uh but then once we just connected uh, he just felt like uh, he felt the connection with me. And he said there was just something telling me in my gut that I had to, like, come make this movie with you. And uh, and he always, like, goes by his gut. And right. um, and so, uh, yeah, it worked out it, it, like because we had the, the time of our lives and uh, and he had so much fun. It was like a license for him to act like a kid again. And kind of get into the useful spirit of like making a movie with a bunch of kids who were, you know, we're so passionate and we're just fighting hard every day. And so I think he like he thrived on that, which was cool. When I was rewatching both your movies, um, your your crazy color scheme carried over to Kids versus Aliens that you had in mm. Ho Hobo. Where, where did yeah. that come from? You've got great use of color. Oh, thank you. Almost it, like a Jallo inspired. Well, it's so insane yeah. in Hobo. Er, er, every scene almost has its own crazy neon light yeah, going on, but it kind of carried over. Yeah, it's kids. it's funny. Um, now I'm just thinking of it. Now I remember uh, when uh, I was in college, um, I was experimenting with color. Um, it was like 20 years ago now uh i was experimenting with like you know just putting gels and experimenting with color because i was so i was super into like gary argento's like work at the time and and uh and comic books and um 
and uh just like I don't know. I just like I've always been like since I was a kid, like attracted to colors. So then when I saw uh, like Dario Argento's work and like how colorful, like, you know, Suspiria and Inferno were, uh, that just like lit up a fire in me. Mm. And uh, I remember uh, shooting a film in college and the teacher getting so mad at me uh, for adding color to the scene Mm. because it was not it was not motivated. It wasn't motivated color. Like I was just like shooting color into a scene and it didn't make sense where that light source was coming from and he couldn't get it into his head like i kept trying to tell him it's like i'm lighting it like a comic book or like you know like a giallo and, mm. <laughs> and uh, uh but him giving me a hard time about it like just kind of reinforced my like want to like explore it like even more um but i remember when i did hobo with a shotgun and i was kind of you know, it was going to be my first feature film. And so I wanted to, you know, um, utilize the things that like I'm very inspired by and what I think are like my strengths. And uh, I did kind of like this deep dive into the the things I thought that helped shape um, the aesthetic that I like and what I bring to my work. And so I realized a lot of it came from like my childhood and growing up and playing with like action figures. And I loved action figures growing up and uh, would just like use the action figures to like create my, it was like my first storytelling. Um, and I love like the vibrant like colors of them and like the packaging of them. And then I, um, I started reading about how uh, uh, WWF back in the day, how when they would design wrestlers, um, I found a bunch of like the the sketches of like the costumes that the designers were making for the wrestlers. And they had like color swatches like up at the top to show the color patterns. And they were like, these prime colors that they would match together so that they would attract like a kid's uh, attention. And um, mm. and I'm sure there was all these studies that like went into like what colors like do that in the in the combinations uh, but I just thought that was so cool and I wanted to bring that mentality to my work. So when I work with like the production designer and the costume designers, like I'm showing them like this kind of method or like the things that, you know, that I grew up loving or had an effect on me. Let's look at the artists that made those things and how they did it uh, because it, because of its effect on me, I would hope, you know, that I could I could translate it into my own work and then have an effect on, you know, other like-minded people or kids that, you know, see my work and uh, get inspired by the the look of it. What kids movies were you watching for inspiration before you started shooting? Was that anything you went back to? Uh, for uh, Kids vs. Aliens? Yes. Or? Yeah, for Kids vs. Aliens, um, I was mostly inspired by uh, the uh, toy lines from my childhood, uh, like Masters of the Universe and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but then also like my childhood fears of of aliens of being uh, abducted by aliens. Uh, but um, like uh, halfway through production, uh, I had a moment where we could have like a pizza party over at my house, and we had the kids and their parents from the movie come over, and we got a bunch of pizzas, and I showed them Monster Squad, which they had never even heard about, and everyone knows the Goonies, and they all had seen the Goonies, yeah. But I was like, oh, like the Monster Squad is kind of a spiritual thing that we're trying to do. Like at the time when Monster Squad came out, it was the edgier like kids movie and the kids like were swearing in it. 
and going up against things that were a little more scary than they would have been, say, in like the. Isn't Goonies. there some full frontal nudity in Monster Squad as well? I don't believe there's any nudity. <laughs> Maybe my teenage brain projected that. My that's okay. you're probably thinking the scene when the the boys are like spying on the sister. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, there's all these like shenanigans in it that uh, that is very similar to the spirit of what we were trying to do. And the kids loved the movie. Great. They were super into it, and the parents loved it too. And I think it it kind of helped the parents be a little more at ease about the. You know, all the swearing in our movie uh, because they could see like how charming it came across in something like the Monster Squad. Um, and then there's uh, my one of my favorite kids movies of all time is this Canadian movie from Quebec. Uh, the French title, I think, is uh, La Guerre de Touc and it, uh, The Dog Who Stopped the War. And it's about like uh, uh, kids on Christmas break uh creating two fractions and playing war and one of them uh one of the sides builds this epic the most amazing snow fort like ever caught in cinema and uh and the kids have this like epic battle but something tragic like happens in it that has like real world like consequences and uh the the drama of that movie you know, amongst a movie that's so silly and, and high concept, like the, the dramatic parts of it are like so true um, that uh, that's always been an, an inspiration for me, too. And I love the um, aliens in the movie. You went fully old school X-Files classic. This is how an alien looks. Yeah. Vibe, which is a really cool move. How did you land on that? Thanks. Um, well, when I was a kid, uh I've been, I was, I've always been like, since I was a kid, terrified of the idea of being abducted by aliens. Um, where I'm from in Nova Scotia, it's like a hotbed of like supernatural and paranormal uh, mysteries. And it's, it's always been part of the culture for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, but there's this great story you can look up uh, where a UFO crashed in the southern point of Nova Scotia in this harbor called Shag Harbor. If you just look up Shag Harbor, UFO crash, you'll find all this stuff and documentaries about it. Uh, but it happened in 1967. And the opening in my movie kind of pays tribute to this story where in the real story, a bunch of fishermen, they saw this like light like fall into the ocean. And so they raced over with their fishing boats thinking maybe they could find survivors from a plane crash. But when they got there, there was no like there was no plane debris but there was just this glow coming from like the depths and they got like all freaked out. And uh, there's all these like rumors to th as to like what had happened. And I had a family member who was working in the Navy and he had told me all the rumors and stories that he heard about it. And as a kid that just, it made it feel real. It was like something happening in my backyard. Uh, and um I remember seeing the trailer for the movie Fire in the Sky on TV. That movie fucked me up. Ooh, yeah, big time. Years of yeah. Trauma the safeties talk me. about that one being a real. Oh, really? Stuff. Yeah, yeah. The it other, really is. The other one that that was absolutely disturbing. Communion with. Oh yeah, absolutely. With Christopher Walken. Yeah, someone should maybe make a documentary about. Uh, the audience's trauma from fire in the sky, because it is one of those, it's one of the few movies I always hear for people being one of the most traumatic film watching like experiences. Um, and for me, it like, 
it because the trailer on TV said based on a true story that really like really affected me because I remember at that time period, my parents trying to convince me there's no such thing as ghosts and aliens, but then the TV is telling me (laughs) right after the news, there's a trailer where you're seeing glimpses of this guy getting abducted and it's like based on a true story. I remember like asking my parents about it, like so much, like how can this be true? And, and, uh, but it made me like go to the library and get every book I could on aliens and alien abductions. I was like the same age as the kids in the movie. It was like in the seventh, sixth grade. And uh, the pictures of like the tall gray aliens uh, always resonated with me. And I think also too, because I grew up like with sleep paralysis where I would see like, if you know what that is, it's like a, it's like you're like kind of halfway between uh, awake and dream state. And I would see these dark figures come into my room and like, you know, pin me down and I would be like frozen in fear. And uh, I, for years growing up, I had no idea like what that was. And I thought maybe it was aliens and I was being attacked by aliens. Did I read right? That was something, I'm sh- I, I don't know if I read it or did I see it in a show on, or on a podcast they were talking about that's a part of your brain that isn't awake or isn't yes. activated, which yeah. causes the... The, one of the worst yeah. things I've ever experienced. There's a yeah. documentary about it called The Nightmare, and it's one of the scariest documentaries you'll ever see. And they reenact the experience of what it's like. And when I saw I saw that movie at the Chattanooga Film Festival for the first time, and I was sitting in the theater, like, crying because um, it was, like, finally I was hearing people explain, like, this, you know, terrifying experience that I also experienced, you know? Yeah. And, for years growing up, like I couldn't relate to anyone because I had no idea. And before the internet, I had no idea like what it was. So like the idea of like bipedal humanoid figures, <laughs> like always like freak me out. So yeah, I just, to me, like that's just been the most terrifying version of an alien is like the gray, the one that's not too far off from being a human form. I've got about time for one more question. And I saw on your Instagram, you, it was a was it Streets of Rage? You said I need to make this movie. <laughs> yeah, I just want to put that out into the world. You're a yes. perfect fit for that. that oh, thank you so much. I think so too. Uh, I I did take a meeting on it, so oh hopefully God, they like yes. they they like what I had to say. But uh, you never know. I've taken I've taken meetings on other dream projects that you know I I never got. But um, I made a movie. Uh, when was it now? It was in 2005. I made like a feature film, but never got finished. Uh, maybe if I did Streets of Rage, I would finish this movie to put it on the DVD. But it was called Streets of Domination. And it was a very <laughs> similar to the vibe of Streets of Rage. Because <laughs> um, I love like gang movies and The Warriors is my favorite movie of all time. And, you know, I would all I would love nothing but to, you know, kind of do my own sort of like version of you know because the warriors inspired beat em up uh video games like you you wouldn't have like double dragon uh without have or streets of rage without there being uh the warriors so who's your favorite gang in the warriors yeah oh the baseball furies for sure yeah yeah when i first saw them there was again it's like one of those design things with like all the different colors that they had for the makeup like when I saw, like, I remember, like when I was, 
the first time I saw that movie, I was in a grocery store lineup, and you know those like spinner racks, like yeah. next to where you check your grocery groceries out. There were just like these DVDs on there, and I'm looking at the Warriors DVD, and this guy in front of me, this old man, is like, "You ever see the Warriors?" <laughs> I was like, "No," and he took it off the rack and he threw it into my grocery pile. <laughs> He's like, you're watching it tonight. And that was when I was in college. And uh, it was during a time period where, like, I was questioning whether or not I, like, wanted to continue down this path of becoming a filmmaker because it seemed like there were so many sacrifices you had to make. But then when I watched The Warriors, it, like, I thought, like, if a movie can be this cool, yeah, then this is worth fighting for. Like if I could just make, do something like that just even once in my life, uh, it would all be worth it. Cause I, yeah, I just, I love that movie so much. And um, I, I can safely say that, you know, that is my one, you know, favorite movie because it's just embodies everything I love about cinema and, and it had such a personal effect on me. That's a beautiful note to end on, but we oh, should let you. people know to watch the original theatrical cut. Yes, absolutely. Oh my dark. god! All respect to Walter Hill, but what the fuck? That was. I know, I know. Uh, but I just finally got the Blu-ray that has like all imprint? the cuts. Did imprint yeah, do the it? Imprint or... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Thank God they did it because I was buying the DVDs like up until a couple like two years ago, just because yeah. I was afraid that this is the only way the original version is going to live like forever. Uh, but uh, thank God they got that original cut on Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah. Praise be. <laughs> well, this is great. I can't wait to see what you do next. Yeah. I love dark side of a ring. Also. Thank you. Thank you. All you wrestler fans should check that out as well. Yeah. Hell yeah. Cool, buddy. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. Yeah, we'll do. Thank you. You take care. Cheers, buddy. That was me and Jason Eisner. Go watch Fire in the Sky and The Warriors and make sure it's not that bad, bad director's cut. Make sure it's the theatrical cut. I think you can find DVDs of original cut for a few pound slash dollars on Amazon and eBay. Okay, that's it from me. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Joshua Eustace, a.k.a. Telephone Tel Aviv, for our beautiful music. And you guys for listening. I'll speak to you soon.